chapter 9. Let's open with prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for the opportunity to praise you in singing. Now we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and praise you in the, in the looking at the word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 9, we're going to start at verse 37. Just before this, we had Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where he was changed to reveal his deity to Peter, James, and John. And that's where we start on verse 37 is them coming down from the mountain. And it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met them. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech you, look upon my son, for he is my only child. And lo, a spirit takes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it tears him that he foams again and bruises him and, and hardly departs from him. And I besought your disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answered, said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you to suffer you? Bring your son here. And as he was yet coming, the devil threw him down and tore him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they were wondering, everyone of all, at all these things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the hands of men. But they understood not his saying, and it was hid from them, and they, were, and they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. So when we want to look at this. We find out that Jesus and Peter, James, and John spent the entire night upon the mountain where Jesus was transfigured. They saw Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And we talked about how Peter didn't, didn't know what he was saying. He says, you know, let us make tabernacles for you. you know, and they spent that whole night up there. And they came down. And as usual, everywhere Jesus went, a crowd gathered. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I, I feel sorry for Jesus. It seems like everywhere he's going, there's a crowd. And I, I'm the type of person I don't like crowds. I would not have had a really hard time being Jesus and having a crowd around me everywhere that I went. And yet he comes down and immediately a problem is presented to him. There's this man and saying, my son is demon possessed. And, you know, I don't know. I've never actually seen somebody that I know is demon possessed or some people I thought might have been, but... <laughs> but not, not known completely. But this child, it says, the demon tormented him. It says that he th threw his body around and, and you know, had him crawling around and on the ground and he foamed at the mouth and had problems because Satan was trying to destroy. We want to remember that we are in a spiritual battle every day. Now, we as Christians cannot be possessed by demons because we have the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit is going to stay in us and he's not going to share our body with anything else. Now, we can be oppressed. We can be pressured. We can have a demon whispering in our ear all the time, but we cannot be possessed. But God is there and Satan is very real. 
Now in our world, people go, well, Satan is just a figure of e figurehead, a picture of evil. No, he is an actual being. He's a fallen angel. And he is very real. And he is very much active in our world today. And we need to understand, when Bible talks about demons and, and Satan, it is not saying they're just symbols of evil. That's what the world is trying to tell us now. But by the same token, they don't really believe in God either. You know, he's just a symbol of good. And we want to get away from this. The Bible makes it very clear that God is God. Satan is, is the enemy. The other thing I want to point out as we get, go through this is remember that Satan is not God's equal. All right? He is not just as powerful as God. He's not as all-knowing as God. He is a created being who styles himself to be the enemy of God. And God allows him to do things so that we can be tested. And do we truly believe what we believe? And this is, both of these are things that people, they either believe that God, uh, God and Satan are not real, or they believe that Satan is somehow equal to God. And they're in this long battle, you know, where of equals. No, God is God, and he is using Satan. Because we're told in, in Peter that Satan is like a roaring lion and that he's chained. You know, we read in Job that Satan has to ask for permission to do anything to people. Now, if you're like me, you kind of wish God would give him a little less permission. But God has his plan, and all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose. But, you know, sometimes we're going, God, would you just give him a little less permission? It's a little, little hard. It's, you know, it's a little, little trying. But God knows what he's doing. We may not understand what he's doing, but he knows what he's doing through all of these things. And this young child or older child, we don't know, it's this man's only child, is being tormented by this demon. This demon is trying to kill him. All right. Uh, in another one of the Gospels, it says that the demon had thrown him into the fire, <laughs> trying to kill him. So the parents are having to watch this guy every moment to see what craziness is going to go on in his life and rescue him from it. And he goes, your disciples could not heal him. And then Jesus says, oh, you perverse, uh, faithless and perverse nation in this, per, uh, this generation. This perverse means falling away. It doesn't mean evil. You've got to put yourself in the position of the disciples. The disciples are a little confused at this point because just at the beginning of this chapter, God had sent them, uh, Jesus had sent them out to minister into all these nations. And what did they come back? The demons fled from us. <laughs> we have power over the demons. And Jesus said, don't take pleasure in that because somehow they did just what we do when God uses us. How often do we think, look what I have done? Instead of, look what God has done through me. And that is where they were at. Look at the power we have. We've got power over demons. And just a little over a week, they're going, we can't get rid of this demon. I think it shook up the, the disciples just a little bit. To go from demons listening to them to demon not listening to them. Because they forgot where the power came from. We need to be very careful when God uses us to always remember that it is God that used us. We will get into a very dangerous place if we somehow begin to think 
<laughs> look what I've done. You know, and I've seen this. You know, it's very easy to be able to say, you know, hey, well, God, you're so lucky you have me doing this ministry. If it wasn't for me, this wouldn't be getting done. And we might not be quite that bold, but have you ever thought that when you've done something for God? Look what, I, look what I'm doing. You know, we need to be very careful because this is where the disciples have been at this point. You know, we did all these great things. You know, and that's exactly, if you remember back at the beginning of this chapter, how, you know, they come back, Jesus is so wonderful that even the demons had to listen to us. You know, look how, you, God, you are, you know, Jesus, you're so lucky you sent us out because we were able to minister and, and reach all these demons and, and control these demons. And they forgot that the power came from God. And this is where they're at. And all of a sudden, they're stuck in a situation where they can't get rid of this demon. And have you ever been deflated by God? <laughs> you think that you've become the greatest thing since sliced bread, and the next thing you know, you can't get anything right? <laughs> nobody's listening. Nobody's doing. Nobody's responding. Because God stuck a pin in your, in your big balloon and said, uh, it wasn't you, it was me. So we want to be careful about that because it is easy and it gets discouraging. I warn everybody who talks to me about getting ready to do a ministry, I'll tell them the same thing. Get ready for the attacks that are going to come. When you start doing something for God, Satan takes notice. And initially he's going to try to stop you by just discouraging you. And keep you from being, you know, seeing results. If that doesn't work, he'll try to get you by getting you all puffed up by saying, look at all the good things you're doing and get you to forget about God. And then he hits you with the trials and says, see, you were worthless after all. Satan does not leave you alone when you're ministering for God. If all you want to do is come to church, sit in the pew and, uh, on Sunday morning and not do anything else for God, then Satan's not going to care about you. If all you want to do is come to church every day, the doors are open and just sit in church. He's still not going to really care that much about, about you. You start teaching a class. You start witnessing. You start running a ministry. You start something as simple as passing out the tracks that I ask you to pass out. And all of a sudden, now you become somebody that is a threat to, the, to his kingdom. And he goes, okay, we've got to stop that person. And then you might get more demons assigned to you or a stronger demon or something assigned to you to give you a harder time. So this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying this to scare us because greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. We have a greater strength. All we need to do is keep depending on him. I don't care which demons come. I don't care if Satan himself comes against them, against you or me, which he won't. <laughs> I don't think anybody in this church is going to get that powerful to have Satan himself, but still at that, the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father lives in you, and greater is he. We just need to remember who we are in Christ. And when Satan comes to attack us and say, no matter whether it's good or bad, you're terribly worthless, you're absolutely right, but I've got Jesus in me, and I'm, I'm a blood-bought, born-again believer, and I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he goes, well, you're so wonderful. No, I'm not. I'm worthless. And it's only because of Jesus Christ that I have any power. Quote the scriptures back to him. Get to know who you are in Christ. We have no power on our own. We have no ability on our own to serve God. And if you think you do, Satan will definitely help you prove that you don't.
He'll get, it, he'll get you one way or the other if you don't focus on God. And this is one of the things I tell people all the time. Be careful. When somebody falls who has been a great leader in the church, do not judge them. Do not judge them because you don't know what attack they had that brought them down. You know, maybe you would have fallen years before they did and Satan just got them, got them at the right time and the right temptation with enough temptation to get them to fall. Pray for them. Lift them up. We've got great evangelists who have their names blackened by different, different activities that they've done. And again, would we have lasted as long as they did? Probably not. So keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on praying for anybody who does fall. It doesn't even have to be an evangelist. There's people in the church that have trouble and they fall. And we need to be careful not to judge one another when we sin. We go out, we reach over, we encourage people, we lift them up. There's not a one of us in here or listening on the radio, uh, internet that will ever get by without sin. We'll ever get by without falling flat on our face and saying, and having Satan come by and say, you know, kicking us while we're down. And then what's worse is our church body oftentimes kicks us while we're down too. You know, we're already feeling bad because Satan is really making us, we've already feel bad because we have failed. Then we have Satan kicking us around and then we have people in the church that kick us around. Does it sound a little bit like Job? <laughs> you know, Job was doing okay. He was, he was pretty unhappy with what was going on and then his wife you know, helped him out and Satan was after him. And then he had some wonderful friends that were counseling him, telling him how bad he was. You know, you're awful, you're terrible, you, you shouldn't have, you had to do something to deserve all this. Our job as Christians is not to make somebody feel miserable. Our job is to make sure they understand, repent, and come back to God. And the good news for us is when we repent and God forgives us, he doesn't stick us back at the bottom of the ladder where, where, we, where we fell off of. He puts us right back where we came, fell off the ladder at. Why? Because we weren't there because of our own works anyway. We've got to get this opinion out of our mind that somehow I'm doing something in my own strength that God, God is blessing. Because if it is, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's by His grace. Always by His grace. Very rarely will God take somebody who's strong in a place and use them to minister. Because if, they, if he did, then they'll go, nah, yeah, he used me because I was, I was the best uh, mechanic in the world, so God made me a mechanic for the, for the ministry. God made, you know, God, I'm the best orator that's ever, ever walked on the face of the earth, so God used me as a preacher. Most preachers are not the greatest oracle, oracles in the world. They're orator, orators. <laughs> uh, you know, usually they're, they're not that great. Then God says, I'm going to use you anyway. I've been surprised as I've gotten to know more and more pastors intimately how many pastors are introverts. They don't like people. They would rather just stay at home and study the Bible. And yet God puts them in a position where they get to talk with people, counsel people, minister to people. You know, and you would think God would pick the extroverts for that. But that would be their strength. And he'd go, nope, we're not going to do that. Here the disciples are saying, we can't do this. And Jesus is kind of chiding them a little bit. He goes, you have forgotten what you, where you came from. You've forgotten who gave you the power. And then King James says, 
How long will I and how long will I be with you and suffer you? <clears throat> now we hear this in English and go, oh, Jesus being given a hard time with this is not what it means. In the Greek it says, How long will I be here to hold you erect and hold your hand? How long am I going to be here to help you? Is what he's saying. Not not, okay, I'm just suffering because I'm having to put up with you guys. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, how long will I be here to hold your hand? Now, and I was in management for a long time, and there were certain people that you had to sit there and hold their hand for a long time to get them to learn their job. And I kind of understood this. Well, how long am I going to have to do this? And you can almost hear the little bit of frustration in Jesus. I sent you guys out to do this. You did these great things. And you forgot where the power came from. How long am I going to be? And Jesus at this point knows that he's going to die soon. That the thing you've noticed in this book of Luke, even though we're early in the book, he keeps telling them, I'm going to die. And I'm going to be leaving and they're not hearing him. And he keeps doing this. And then he tells them, says, bring the, bring the lad here. Bring, bring your son here. And immediately as that son was being brought to him, the devil tried to stop him, the demon inside him tried to stop him and threw him down and, and caused a problem. And Jesus rebuked the demon at that point. Satan does not want people to be ministered to. You know, if he can't stop us from ministering, he will try to stop them from being ministered to. I've done street evangelism and stuff, and it's very interesting. You're talking to a group of two or three people. One of them can be very interested in hearing the, hearing the message. Do you know what the other ones do? They immediately try to bring interference to it. They try to make it hard for you to talk to that person. And so be aware, this is a battle. It's a well-thought-out battle because Satan has been doing this for a very long time. He's been practicing for 6,000 years. So if you have a hard time witnessing, if you have a hard time delivering the message, do not feel bad. None of us have been doing this for 6,000 years. All right? The Holy Spirit in us has the words when we let him, let him minister through us, but our enemy has a lot of practice to distract people. He has a lot of practice distracting us while we are giving this message. Our job, though, is to deliver the gospel message to people. We are not responsible for the success or failure of that message. The person, spirit, and God are the ones that are responsible for that, the success or failure of that message. Our job is a simple one. Share it. You know, and the gospel message is such a simple message. Now, I tell you, we can tell the gospel message in about 30 seconds. We're all sinners. We deserve hell. Jesus died for our sins. Now, hopefully, if you give the message, you give a little bit more than that. <laughs> but you can give the entire gospel message in that fast. We're all sinners. We deserve hell. Because we deserve hell and can't pay for it ourselves, Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, and then he rose from the death, dead from, in victory. That is how simple it is. And this is what we are supposed to do, is just share that gospel. If you're afraid to talk the gospel, grab tracts. You know, and I think God, our church gives out a lot of tracts every year. Not just at the parades and everything we do, but we give out hundreds and hundreds of tracts. We give out thousands of pens. 
to people so they can then be able to listen to the internet because the internet channel is on there. We've got all kinds of things going on. We need to be able to share God's work. I am looking forward to, you know, one of the things that I think is how much we are being attacked in this church. We've been praying for revival. We've been praying for souls. I think we're going to see it. And Satan is trying to stop us from seeing a revival start here in this, in this community. And I've only been here nine years, but I have seen changes in our community. This town was very dark and, and repressive and everything nine years ago. It's still dark and repressive, but it's not near as bad as it used to be. God is moving in small ways, but he's moving. And there's going to come an explosion of revival at some point. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking to see what is going to happen and watch what God is going to do because it'll be him that brings out a revival. It'll be him doing it because of our prayers for revival. It'll be him doing it. And the one thing I want to tell us all as we're in here, you might not like the people who come to church when they come with a revival. But you know what? I'm going to welcome them. I'm going to encourage you to welcome them because they may not be the nice people in town. But everybody needs to hear the gospel message. Everybody. And we need to fill this place. And we're not going to fill it up with the nice people in town. Most of the nice people in town don't want to come here because they don't think they're sinners. And unfortunately, I kind of tell us what God says, that we're sinners. I can't change that message. Now, I know there's lots of pastors and evangelists and feel-good preachers on TV that change the message, but I can't. I've got to preach what God says. We are sinners, destined for hell without Christ. We need to be able to do that and then realize that when the revival comes, we're going to get people in here that we're going to look at and say, how is that person in church? By God's grace, just the same way we're in church, by God's grace. So this is what's going to happen on here. Jesus cast this demon out, and in verse 43 it says, They were all amazed at the mighty power of God, and while they were wondering all these things, that Jesus said something to his disciples. So everybody's amazed. Now, I don't know if there were more miracles than this one recorded uh, casting out a demon, I guess, would be an amazing thing in and of itself. But Jesus asks his disciples one very simple question. He says, let these sayings sink into your ears. I'm going to stop there. Let these sayings sink into your ears. In other words, he's saying, hear this. All right. I paraphrased it in a very simple way. Let these sayings get through your thick skull. Because you know, he's trying to encourage them. He's saying, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Let it sink in. Hear these words. Understand. Let them be established. He goes, he goes on to say, For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of man. He shall be delivered. Again, we need to get into the mindset of the disciples. They're following the Messiah, the one who's going to rule from Jerusalem for eternity. And he keeps telling them, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of man. They're going to kill me and I'm going to raise in three days. 
Didn't say it in this particular one, but that's what he keeps telling them. And they never understand because it goes against what they're believing. And I use this to tell us all the time, we need to be very careful to look at things and say, do not let what you believe stand in the way of the truth. And I don't care if it's a church doctrine, something you've heard all your life. If you read the scriptures and it does not agree with something that you believe, dig deeper and make sure you're understanding what's being said to be true or is what you believe to beginning to be true. All right. Very important for us to be able to say, God, I want to know the truth. I've only been studying since uh, age 10, so that's been 50 years I've been studying the Word of God. There are times when God has said, given me something that doesn't match what I have believed from early on. And I've had to sit down and go, okay, God, this is, this is a struggle for me. Help me learn. Show me which one is true. And it hasn't happened often because I've been well taught, but there are times when I've gone in and said, oh, I need to change the way I'm thinking. This is one of the reasons I'm very picky about who teaches children, because if you teach a child the wrong thing in church, that child is going to believe the wrong thing for the rest of their life until they get to a church maybe where a pastor or a teacher finally says, hold it, this is what it is, and then they're going to go through a real struggle trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong. We need to be ready to understand that even if I've believed something for 50 years and all of a sudden the scriptures become very clear that I didn't believe right or didn't believe fully, I need to be ready to change and agree with God. Because I have seen this, denominationalism is a really bad thing in this area. The denomination believes this and all of a sudden you come across a scripture that doesn't agree with your denomination. The reason I like Baptist doctrines is because they are solid doctrines compared to many of the other denominations that have things that I cannot agree with. And do I agree with how the Baptists interpret all those doctrines? No. But I do agree with the Baptist doctrines of faith, you know, the way they are. Not the way churches teach them, but the way they're written and the way they're, they're put out there. So we need to be able to understand, am I going to be supportive of God? Am I going to listen to God and his word? Am I going to let his word dig deep into me? And it's even worse if you come from some cult or some other religion and become a Christian. Because now you've got all these really bad things underneath you. And you're trying to have to sort through them. And I have seen many people try to mix the two and say, okay, how can I keep both, even though they're opposites and different? How can I keep all, you know, two, three, four different ways that I've been taught? Be willing to listen to truth and change your mind to truth. Always. Because this is what Jesus is saying. And I kind of think this interesting. And they understood not his saying. They did not know what it was saying. And it was hid. The Spirit did not explain everything to them before Jesus was resurrected. I think about us. How many times did maybe some of you try to read the Bible before you got saved? And you're going, none of this makes sense at all. You know, why do people believe all of this craziness? You know, this doesn't make any sense. None of it's real. 
and then you got saved. And maybe even that same night, <laughs> you're reading the Bible and saying, Wow, look at all this. It's alive. It's real. I can understand it. Because the Holy Spirit is now in you interpreting the words. The lost cannot understand the ways of God. They cannot. And the sad thing is we've got so many pastors and teachers nowadays that are lost. They went through seminaries that did not teach that the Bible was true. Do not teach the power of God. And then they come to the churches and they teach their people the Bible's not true and there, and there is no power in God. And then they wonder why their church is so ineffective and, and weak. This is God's word. It is true. It is powerful. It will change your life if you let it change your life because it is true. You have to believe that it's true and start from that point of view. When I read the scriptures, I start with the scriptures are true no matter what else is said. When I was in high school, I believed that the Bible was true, that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he created everything, and he had a plan. And I had to debate with many teachers about whether God did it or whether evolution did it. You know, and we had our evolution seminar in here. We'll have another one sometime in the future. But that science does not support evolution. Evolution is a flawed theory. Evolution violates every law of science. And yet we have so many people saying that they believe evolution. Even though it does not agree with any law of science and makes no sense, it's illogical. And the evidence that we see is man is devolving and getting worse and evil and getting weaker as we go along, not getting stronger and better. So everything we can see says it's the opposite of what they teach us, which is exactly what God says. Man fell and we've been getting worse since. And we're going to get worse to the point where he finally brings judgment upon this world and destroys it. When we look at God, we see what's going on. When we look at the world, we go, the world doesn't seem to make any sense. And yet, because they don't want to accept God, they won't turn around and say, well, we, what we believe doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we really don't want to believe in this God. And you know what? If you read all the evolutionists and, and supposed atheists out there, almost every one of them that have written a book have said the same thing about evolution. We know that evolution has big flaws in it, but we cannot accept that there's a God that started it all. Even though they recognize that that would answer all their problems, they go, we cannot accept that there's a God. Well, a scientist will accept any option as long as it's not God. They're not supposed to do that if they're a true scientist. What is our attitude toward things? Are we ready to say, God, you are true? I'm going to trust you no matter what, and I'm going to believe you. We need to get to that place where I'm going to say, God, you are true and every man's a liar. Because we're told in Hebrews that God cannot lie. He does not lie. And we need to understand that. When God says it, it is true. And our memory verse for this month is, all scripture is given by inspiration. All of it is God-breathed. That he wrote the word and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. That covers all aspects of our life. All aspects of our life are covered by the word of God. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the very 
spirit and soul, the bones and the marrow. It is powerful. It is quick. You know, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, as it, as it says in Psalms. It's a light to our path. It teaches us how to think, teaches us how to act. We need to really start lifting up God's word to its proper place in our life and living by it. If we are not being fed by the word of God, we are going to be weak, emaciated Christians that can have no power because this is our food. It would be like the same thing of you deciding I'm not going to eat for four years. Now, you wouldn't make it to four years, but most Christians don't make it that, long, that well either because they don't read God's word. They don't feed their soul, their spirit. They let the spirit die of hunger that God gave them. Now, it doesn't completely die. It just keeps getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And we lose strength by not getting our spirit fed. We need to be feeding ourselves with the word of God. This is why we encourage you, read the Bible through every year. Surveys tell us that very few Christians have ever read the entire Bible. I believe the last one I read said 8% of Christians have read the Bible all the way. That's sad. Many of them don't read it every day. We need to be in God's word. We need to be in fellowship with a, with a church. This new thing since the pandemic is that, oh, these internet churches are wonderful. They're great. Well, they were good when you couldn't go anywhere, but we need each other. We need to be able to see each other and look each other in the eye and be able to minister and love on each other and edify one another. Hebrews tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves and so much more as you see the day approaching. And that last part is being ignored by all these tele, you know, big preachers on the radio and television saying, yep, just come to our church. This, is, this will fulfill your meeting together. And I'm thinking, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We have pastors telling people not to meet together. And it's scary. And some of these pastors are really good pastors. I like what they teach. Mostly. <laughs> but we need to be able to say, God, you said meet together. Meet together. Physically meet together. Not, not through a medium where I'm watching things go on. We need to be able to understand we need each other. We need one another. We need to follow God's word. And then they go, why didn't they ask Jesus? It says they were afraid. They feared to ask him of that saying. Do not be afraid to ask questions of God. God is not afraid of questions. One of the things that people have said to me that I like you because I can ask you anything and you don't make me feel silly. You know what? If you can't ask hard questions of how do you know there's a God? How do you know the Bible's true? Why should I believe in God? If you can't ask those in church, where are you going to ask them? You're going to ask them of your lost friends and what answer they're going to give you? Well, of course there's no God. Of course the Bible's not true. And yet there are churches that if you ask a question that simple, that incredibly important to your life, they'll tell you, don't ask such questions. You just have to have faith. Well, you know what? I'm an analytical person. If I had had people tell me you just have to have faith, I wouldn't be a Christian. Because I want to know why I believe, which is what Peter says you know, to study to show your, uh, Paul said, study and show yourself approved, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. 
Peter said, be ready to give an answer for what you believe. Our job as Christians is to know what we believe and be able to tell others why we believe it. So if you don't know something, ask. Look it up. Find an answer for what you believe and know why you believe it. There are some things that ultimately have to take some things by faith. You know, we will never prove that God created the heavens and the earth other than it matches science better than evolution. But we can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. We're going to have to believe by faith that he did it. Even We have enough evidence to show that it's, that it's the, mo the best answer. You know, we can get through where we can see that it is the best answer. And there is a place where we have to take it by faith. You know, I feel sorry for poor Thomas because he gets called doubting Thomas all the time. But if I was one of the disciples, I would have been Thomas. If I had missed the meeting where Jesus showed up, I'm going to say, you know, I'd be saying just like him. I don't know what you guys were smoking last night, but uh, I watched him die and he was buried. So, you know, what are you guys talking about? I saw my, my evidence says this. We need to be able to understand why we believe what we believe. So this is where we're going to end. My challenge for us is study. Study to know what you believe. Why do you believe what you believe? And as I've told you all, I don't want you all believing what I believe just because I believe it. I want you to know why you believe what you believe. If you disagree with me, and some people have said they disagree with me on certain areas, I'm going to ask one question. Why do you believe what you believe? Tell me what you believe and why. I already know what you're going to answer because I've gone through most of those myself. But you know what? I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. If you know what you believe and why you believe it, it's between you and God. I believe what I believe very strongly, and I'm going to teach what I believe about the scriptures. And if somebody can tell me why they believe and why I'm wrong, I'm going to listen to them. I may or may not agree with them. But, and if you're going to disagree with me, make sure it's in the scriptures, not just your opinion. <laughs> because your opinion's not going to matter to me. <laughs> I'm going to go to the scriptures and say, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it. And most of the time I know what the other side says and what scriptures they're going to use <laughs> to believe what they believe. And I'm going to say, fine, if you want to believe that, I know that you're in this group, this group, and this group, and you're, and you're okay. There's other very famous people that will believe what you believe. Just know what you believe. Ask God. When you ask God to show you, he will. He will teach you. When I was a teenager, I learned this real, real well because I went to a Baptist church, then I went to a Pentecostal church. And there were very different doctrines between those two churches. And there were certain things I'm going, God, I don't understand because both of these churches say something different and they're using the same verse to, do, to, to support their, 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 their belief. The Holy Spirit taught me. Then I went to Bible school and learned what was a very important lesson to me. If the Holy Spirit teaches you, He'll be right. You may not know why he's right, but later on I learned why the Holy Spirit was right and I could defend what the Holy Spirit had taught me. Ask God for understanding and he will give it to you. Be bold with your witness. Be bold sharing the gospel with others. Share what God has taught you. Start with the people in the church. My dream is that our church will come together and I'll hear people saying, you know what I learned in the Bible last week? Do you know what God, God used to minister? I am looking forward to the day when this church is so 
busy learning from God that we're sharing with each other all the time what God has taught us. I get to do it every week. Most everything I teach is fairly new, even though much of it is old. Every once in a while, God gives me this really interesting twist on something that I have not understood very clearly. You study God's word, you know, 50 years like I have, and he keeps making it deeper and deeper and deeper understanding and helping you understand. It does not stay stagnant because God is infinitely greater than us. Just trying to understand God is going to take your entire life. Because every time you think you understand him, you're going to find out that you don't even have a clue. You know, how big is God? How strong is God? How all-knowing is God? How much love does God have? You know, we sang the love of God, you know, and I love that line where, you know, we would drain the ocean riding on the sky about his love and we still wouldn't even cover it, cover his love. We need to understand that he is greater than we are. We will never run out of things to know about God, and we will be studying him for eternity. And you know what? We will still never know all there is to know about God way out in eternity. I can't say the end of eternity because there's no end. But when we've been out there studying God for zillions of years <laughs> and never forgetting, which is what I'm looking forward to heaven, not forgetting, we still won't know God completely. That is an amazing thought. He is infinitely loving. He is infinitely merciful. He is infinitely knowledgeable. And it's going to be wonderful forever and ever to study God and not ever get to the end. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody listening online or even in here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that we ask today that they will choose to acknowledge that they're a sinner and that they need your forgiveness and ask you to come into their heart and that they will share it with people to let them know that that happened. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this. God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. 
You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.